Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. Hopefully you're all having a great week and while sport has resumed in some parts of the world, we're well aware that many others are still struggling with the terrible COVID-19 pandemic and we hope that you're all staying safe and well wherever you are in what is a very challenging time around the world. Now whilst it's been a little while between podcast episodes, we've had a huge month on the content front and with webinars at Player Development Project. We were delighted to recently feature top academy coaches Nathan Phillip and Nathan Thomas on working with Foundation Phase Age players. PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright hosted this one, and it was a wide-ranging conversation around age-appropriate coaching, ball mastery, insights into the approach of MK Dons, where Nathan Thomas works, and a number of other key factors when working with players aged 8 to 12. The replay of this and 13 other recent webinars are all available now on the website. Following this event, we also hosted a licensed coach and university lecturer, Dave Eldridge, for a brilliant conversation on scanning and awareness. Now, this will be available on the website for members to watch as a replay on July 14th, so look out for that one. We've also just released another live session, which I was fortunate enough to deliver, with some grassroots under 12 players in Australia. This practice is an 8v8 transition game, lots of fun, and it allows for high repetition of forward passes, running with the ball, and defending outnumbered. Our coaching advisor, James Coots, has also been out on the grass this week in Queensland, Australia, where he was filming with some under 10 and under 11 players, so do look out for more live sessions on the PDP website very soon. A reminder, we've got a fantastic free webinar coming up on July 13th, and this will feature Yilmaz Aksoy, national goalkeeping coach at the FA. I was very fortunate to work with Yilmaz in my time at Fulham Football Club, and he's a top coach and a top man, so you can book your place for free on the website and join the discussion as we talk developing goalkeepers. Check out our social channels for the registration links. Today's podcast is an excerpt from our latest masterclass discussion. For context, this was recorded prior to the pandemic, so it doesn't factor in recent events, but still a great conversation. It was a pleasure to host FFA Coach Development Manager Sean Douglas for a conversation on coach development and coaching in general. Now Sean shares some insights into his experience, he discusses the local landscape in Australia, challenges he faces and advice for coaches. The full version of this discussion is available now at playerdevelopmentproject.com. Lastly, a reminder, you can sign up as a PDP member at playerdevelopmentproject.com and remember you can currently access a free 30-day trial to the platform when you join. Our team's working seven days a week to support coaches in their development, so head over to the website, set up an account on either a monthly or annual subscription, and you'll get access to a massive library of content and be able to join our interactive Slack community to share ideas and ask questions. Thanks for joining us today. I really hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi everyone, my name's Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Masterclass discussion. Today I'm delighted to be joined by National Coach Education Manager from Football Federation Australia, Sean Douglas. Sean, how are you? I'm good, Dave. Good. Glad to be back. Thanks for joining us and uh, for those that haven't read some of Sean's work, he was a contributor to the very first PDP magazine and we've previously done a discussion on uh, high performance coaches with Sean where uh, Jimmy and I hosted him a couple of years back. But great to check in with you again, Sean, and just uh, I guess talk coach development and coach education with you. But before we dive into that, can you give us just a brief background on how you found yourself in this, this very hectic position that I know you're in working at FFA? Yeah, I suppose uh, as as a lot of people involved in football, playing background, um, played in uh, in Asia and Singapore in particular, and then up into Denmark at a, mm-hmm. a, a couple of years in there. Got homesick and ended up back in Australia, 
um, played in the old NSL days and was, was part of Carlton, who I think could have been the first fully professional club. Um, but unfortunately, the league couldn't sustain a, a fully professional club mm. and, and it went bankrupt. Um, and then from there, uh, moved back to New Zealand, uh, went to work in a, in a local club there and, and had a, a great learning experience there where I was running 11 sessions a week as the, the club's director of coaching, mm. anything from eight-year-olds up to seniors. Uh, and then moved into a state or a, a regional federation there at, at Auckland Football, um, where I was the technical director and, and oversaw sort of player development, coach development. Um, involved in national teams, coaching within New Zealand, and um, involved in the national programs and, and academies and, and all sorts of things, and mm. bringing new coach development frameworks within New Zealand. Next step was across back across into Australia, uh, technical director of Victoria. Um, similar role, coach development, player development, uh, and then finally the step into uh, Football Federation Australia, um, where mm. I was just running running all the courses around the country at this time, uh, B's and A's, um, and then a, a final step into the head of coach education. So that's a, a very quick wrap up. In my <laughs> well, it's certainly a very long one. And obviously you've got an enormous amount of experience, particularly in the last 10 years or so working with coaches and, and longer in that coach development space. In terms of your role at FFA, obviously Australian football is going through some amazing changes at the moment and, and the league is growing in, but there's some separation between the two organisations. In terms of the coach education space, what are some of the, the key focuses for the coach development team at the moment and things you're working on? Um, there's probably two main areas. Uh, one, we're looking to evolve the courses, uh, but in particular, the facil facilitation of the courses. Um, so looking at adult learning principles, uh, finding out what coaches know and, and building on this through active learning. Mm -hmm. uh, the second area is to provide support and learning in the workplace, so, so at the club. So rather than have coaches come away for a, a day or two days or seven-day course and have to go back to the club, we want people there in the club that can provide support feedback um, whilst the coach is coaching. Mm. Uh, and then obviously, yeah, that requires a large trained workforce of coach developers or TDs or, or whatever you want to call them. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a big, big ask. Yeah, definitely. And when you say active learning, I mean, it, there seems to be a real shift in, uh, I guess, contemporary coach, coach education and coach development in terms of supporting people in there. What, what's your sort of take on active learning and the importance of supporting coaches in their realistic environments? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, when we work with players, we want to put them in as realistic an environment uh, for them to learn and, and to transfer that, you know, learning into the game. So it's no different with coaches. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we can simulate a halftime team talk on a course. Uh, it's even better to have the coach do that with their team uh, in a real game and, and give feedback yeah. that way. Um, but I think the, the big part is that coaches actually do the doing. They're not sitting there receiving information passively. Um, they're set tasks. They're, they're asked to implement and reflect on that. Mm. Um, so we take them sort of through that learning cycle as much as possible. Yeah, I think it's a really good shift. I know from my own experience in coach development in the UK when I was up there that everything was shifting in that direction and that realism and the, the real relationships and even being filmed where you might have conversations on camera and you're zooming in and you're listening to a one-to-one -one while the game's going on. And the realism just added a lot in terms of the self-reflection piece. So certainly a very positive development. In terms of coaches who are perhaps at the start of their 
uh, coaching journey and, and obviously you've seen a lot of uh, courses, whether it's delivering and creating the pro license down to the introductory courses that FFA offers. What, what are some of the common uh, challenges that you see coaches facing when they turn up on perhaps their first course with an organization and some of the misconceptions or, or challenges that are there for coaches? Um, that's a great question. It's probably a good one to ask the coaches. Uh, <laughs> but some of the things we're trying to consider are things like positive learning environments where the coaches feel they can contribute, they can ask questions, they can have a go without fear of judgment. Mm. Um, you know, we've had some good feedback recently around the change in environment or atmosphere or feeling on a course. Um, coaches feel they, they, they're not being judged if they speak up and have opinions. Um, the other area I think is the, the coach's ability to transfer the learning from the course back into their individual context. Um, you know, for example, the age or stage of their players, the motivation of their players, what facilities or resources they have available. Mm. Um, often it's, it's perfect on a course. Um, you know, the, the, you can choose what players you want. You've, everything's available there. Uh, you have plenty of time to, to plan your training sessions. So taking those things and then putting them back into the real world is, uh, is sometimes difficult. Mm. And I think the other thing is, um, and, and it's, I think it's part of the normal learning process, but it, it becomes sort of a copy culture. Yeah. Um, and we want coaches to bring their own personality to the process. It, it's a, we teach a process because we know it will give a solid foundation for, for coaching and, and to, to move from that. Um, but bring their own personality, you know, don't, don't copy what the, the facilitator or the coach developer is, uh, is showing on the course. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, it's really interesting. And I think that's something that a PDP we've always tried to promote is, is to get away from that and actually look at adapting things and creating them relative to your players and so on. In terms of, um, in terms of some of those, I guess, uh, approaches for new coaches when they get on the course and they're looking at finding the answers, what do you sort of think they should be looking to go away with? So when they're going back into those environments, is it a case of just picking the bits that you like from courses or should you just take it all and try and apply it? I mean, it's obviously, it can be quite overwhelming for those who are first attending a course and taking on a lot of information. Yeah, I think that's part of the, the change in the course delivery is each area or module or whatever you want to call it, has a reflection piece. And mm. um, we try and encourage coaches to think about how does this apply to me? Um, what, how could I implement it within my context? Um, so then they sort of come away with a, each module, a section where it's a personal development or an action plan that they can put into action. And, and what I'd say is just, you know, pick one of those areas at a time and, and try it out. Mm. Um, you know, we, we talk about that learning process where it's like, cooking um you know at first when we start cooking we follow a recipe to the letter mm. so we, we copy and then we start to when we get confident with that we start to change ingredients uh, put different amounts of ingredients in we, we we tinker with it sometimes it's crap you know it comes out tasting <laughs> yeah. bad um sometimes it's fantastic and and we learn through that process of trial and error uh, so i think that's an important thing for coaches don't be afraid of making mistakes go, go mm. and have a go and change things and see what they're the outcomes or the impacts are. Yeah, I could not agree more with those sentiments around uh, experimentation and taking risks. If we're going to ask players to you know, make decisions and be creative, then as coaches, we should be brave enough to do the same thing. In terms of um, you know, developing coaches and, and looking to seek out and leave with as much knowledge on that coach development pathway journey, do you think it's a case of 
um, you know, they, they need to go in there. And obviously there's a lot of peer to peer learning as well within the environment. So sometimes I've, I've found on courses, for example, there's an expectation that the federation will tell, and then we'll go and take that knowledge away, which we've kind of touched on. But is it a case of also looking at that peer-to-peer learning piece and, and seeing the upside of being in a group of people who are immersed in something and enthusiastic about something and what you can learn from each other? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a major part of the course. So I, mean, I, I love working in this because I learn something from every coach on every single course um, that I'm involved with. Uh, mm. You know, I often have coffees and chats with coaches after courses and uh, I, I'm always learning. Um, so I think that mindset that you can gain from your fellow coaches you can gain from the course you can gain from those running the course uh, is Mm. is really important Um, you know you you can get learning from anywhere it's not just on a course yeah definitely it's a very good point now obviously self-reflection is an area which you've touched on in terms of the way perhaps some of the courses are being delivered in that self-reflection piece between modules or between contact time this is an area you're an expert in really and you've, you've done a lot of research on in the past are you able to dive into this in terms of practical advice for coaches around how they can embrace reflection in their own coaching practice encourage it amongst the players and for you why it's so valuable in the coach development space yeah, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but uh, I, would, I would encourage coaches to implement an, uh, what I call an action learning process. So, you know, actively plan what you're going to try and improve in your coaching, um, including how you'll measure your improvement or your impact, um, who you're going to get to give you feedback, um, have a go at putting that into practice in that plan, and then critically reflect on what you plan to do and, and what happened. Um, and then that leads into the plan again. So it's, it's a cyclical process. Mm. Um, one thing I would say is that many coaches tend to default to reflecting on the player performance or what the players did uh, when they've got to keep the, the spotlight on themselves. So mm. why did the player, what did I do that caused the player to do that? Or what was yeah. my feedback like? Or um, how do my behaviours affect performance? And I think that's uh, to keep that spotlight on you can be difficult at times. Yeah, absolutely. Are there certain strategies you would advise uh, implementing in terms of how you reflect? So for some, it might be the power of video. For others, it might be writing things down. Do you see a variety when you see effective coaches actually implementing these ideas? Yeah, it depends on what they want to improve. So uh, taking a very simple one, we see a lot of coaches that are intervening a lot and there's a lot of mm-hmm. time spent with the players are stood listening and, and not actively playing. Um, so it's something as simple as a time duration, someone there with a stopwatch every time, you know, the coach stops it and then you can just get a timeline. Yeah. Uh, so the tools that you use, you know, video, um, all those things may depend on what you want to improve. Mm. Yeah, it's certainly uh, something to be very aware of. And the ball rolling time for me is something that we all get better with over time. I think as we become more confident, head towards that sort of, um, you know, getting more confident as a chef, as the the nice analogy you used earlier. In terms of coaches, um, I think a real first world problem for a lot of coaches is most of them are volunteers. They might be getting, doing part-time roles if they're getting paid at all. But most coaches are very time poor because, you know, we're all juggling different commitments. In terms of actually getting on the grass with players, you know, you've got a couple of sessions a week probably in a grassroots environment if you're lucky what kind of advice do you have in terms of that limited prep time and how to actually get out there and implement a session when you are very time poor and perhaps it's a you know five ten minutes in the car before you get out on the grass for a lot of people yeah i mean uh, we, we often say on the courses not to take it 
exercises from the book or YouTube or, or something like that because they don't suit your players. Um, yep. But often a, a time poor coach, you, you have to do something like that. You yep. know, find some activities that work for you and then don't be afraid to adapt them to, yep. for your players, for your style of play, whatever, you know, your stage or age that you're working in. Um, ideally, if, if you do have time, yeah, then you're looking to design sessions based on the needs of your players. Um, that, that would be the ideal. But yeah, like I said, I often run out of time um, <laughs> myself and I have a few go-to activities that I know work well. Um, yeah. You know, and sometimes I'm, I'm running from running a, a pro license all day, going to run a session. I just haven't had time to design one. Mm. So I'm sort of thinking through the things that link to what I want to work on and um, maybe change or adapt on the run during a session sometimes. Um, mm. I often find my plan that I write on paper is not exactly what I deliver. I'll, I'll observe mm -hmm. and reflect in the moment, you know, so there's, there's reflection after a session, but there's reflection during the session and I'll think, Oh, I can do this better. I can change this. So I think taking the time to stand back and observe during a session and, and, and think, don't be afraid to let the players play and, and think yeah. how can I make it better? What rule change, what area change, um, what things can I change to, you know, get a different outcome or behavior. Yeah, look, I think that's really sound advice. As you're speaking, I'm sort of reflecting on a, I remember having, I was lucky enough to have Ben Bartlett observe me in the UK. Um, and I delivered a session as part of my A license assessment where I'd clearly planned it out. We talked it through before, presented what I was going to deliver. And I stuck to that plan almost by default because I was thinking, well, I'm being observed. And one of Ben's key bits of feedback, <coughs> excuse me, for me was that actually the, the first part was going really well you didn't need to change that because the outcome you're looking for, it was a transition practice was happening. Did you even need to progress to the last bit where it took the players maybe six, eight minutes to actually learn the session and then yeah. they got into the flow of it. So I actually disrupted the flow. And I think it was a great, it was a really nice conversation at the end to think actually even in this sort of assessment environment where I'm being observed, I could have still just adapted on the run and adjusted to what I'd seen. I think that's yeah. something that coaches need to be doing. Yeah, and I think as you said before, it, that comes with a bit more experience and a bit more comfort in, in who you are and what you're doing. Um, mm. You know, the more we do it, the more we get used to it. And at the end of the day, the players are playing. They're, they're not, yep. They don't know what's going on inside your head, even if you're <laughs> yeah. freaking out. Um, yeah, so. yeah, definitely. Look, we've talked about some of the things that you're looking to implement on the courses and some of the changes, but one of the challenges for coaches is that time in between. So, you know, if you have a, a week of contact time, for example, and then you go away for three or four months before you're back on course, uh, that's where coaches are obviously practicing and learning and trying things. But how does FFA endeavor to support those coaches between courses or between um, contact time? Yeah. And as part of the formal course, we have the, the, obviously the distance distance learning tasks. Um, but our main focus is going to be, I suppose, two areas. At, at every community club, we want what we call a club coach coordinator. It's a program mm -hmm. we've, we've started. Um, the role of that person is quite broad. So it can be at one end, uh, just someone who can signpost or be a contact for coaches. So mm. if I'm in my local community club and I want to learn more about coaching i go and ask my club coach coordinator when the next course is or or how do i find the course at the other end of that role spectrum is someone who's been coaching in the club for two three four five years can come and watch my session can come and give me some advice uh or meet with me um, you know have a coffee and talk through how do i hurt the cats so yep. to speak <laughs> um, and i think the the key part of that person's role is 
to you know to make the coach feel valued and supported. Mm. Um, so it's not a case of here's your bag of balls at the start of the season and, and good luck. We'll see you at the end. Um, so that person is there to, to make the coach feel supported and, and provide advice. Um, we've had some good feedback. I mean, it's a bit anecdotal. We haven't yep. you know, measured the impact right across the country yet, but in some regions, uh, over two or three years, we've had a couple of clubs that have not lost a coach. Mm. Now, in Australia, with community coaches being volunteers, there's continual turnover. So I think the just that feeling of feeling valued and having support, coaches are actually staying. Um, and we all know we can only get better if we continue to do something. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's it's been good. Um, and then the other areas, club technical directors, so higher up the chain that, that within the youth development pathways, uh, we're looking to implement some training and development for technical directors around their role and how they can support coaches. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.